We're going to have our Bible reading now. We're going to look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 1 to 11. Now, brothers and sisters, about times and dates, we do not need to write to you, for you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly, as labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you, brothers and sisters, are not in darkness, so this day should surprise you like a thief. You are all children of the light and children of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. So then, let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be awake and sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, putting on faith and love as a breastplate, and the hope of salvation as a helmet. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us so that whether we're awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, just as in fact you are doing. This is God's word. Great. Let me add my welcome. My name's Ben. Uh, I'm a ministry trainee here. Um, Particularly if you're new, you're very welcome. Uh, We have a a heavy passage on our hands. Uh, So let me pray. Father, I'm staggered again that you speak to Um, fallen and broken and sinful vessels like us. I praise you for your word. Pray that it would speak light and life today. Pray that your spirit will be at work, Lord. Without your spirit, there is is no hope of us hearing or understanding or being changed, Lord. Please um, help us to understand and hear and be changed by your word. Amen. Great. So I was sitting in church a couple of years ago on New Year's Eve. Uh, It wasn't a great Bible teaching church like this one, so I was kind of arrogantly uh, not really expecting much from the sermon. So anyway, there I am. I'm sitting in my seat. The preacher stands up, uh, and the first thing he says is, uh, it's a short while until we count down for the new year, but the Church of Christ is on a countdown for Jesus Christ's return. Now that may sound like a bit of a a cringy, cheesy line. I was actually bowled over sitting in my seat. Uh, I thought it was a great line. And the reason was I was sitting there arrogant, but I'd not been thinking about the return of Jesus Christ at all. It, it, just, it just hadn't really been in my mind. Um, and maybe that's the case for you tonight as well. Maybe in this busy Christmas season, um, the day of the Lord, the day that Jesus returns, just hasn't really been in your focus. Maybe if it has, it it's not been viewed rightly or felt rightly. I know that's the case for me. Uh, maybe it's not affected your life as you would like. Uh, or maybe you're not a Christian here today and actually you've never thought about the day that Jesus comes back at all. Um, we're going to see from this passage in Thessalonians that the day of the Lord is not a small thing. It's not a small part of our faith. Um, it is massive. It's the day the, word is, the world is heading to. And it's imperative that we view it rightly and think about it rightly. So we're going to see three things that are on your service sheets. Um, The day of the Lord will be a day of sudden destruction. It's a day that we need to be ready for. 
and it will be a day of salvation. A day of sudden destruction, a day to be ready for, and a day of salvation. Firstly, the day of the Lord will be a day of sudden destruction. So uh, we're in 1 Thessalonians, Paul writes two letters to the church in Thessalonica. Um, In both those letters, the Thessalonians show that they're concerned about the exact time that Jesus is going to come back. They're speculating on times and dates. Paul, however, is adamant that we don't know when the day of the Lord will come. All we know is that it will come suddenly. Let's have a look at verses 1 and 2. Now, brothers and sisters, about times and dates we do not need to write to you. For you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly. So we see that Jesus will come back at an unexpected time, just like thieves sneak upon us. I don't know if you've ever been burgled. I've actually never been burgled. Um, But if you have, I bet you weren't expecting it. I bet you woke up one morning and some stuff was gone. You you just don't expect it. Um, Even when people are saying peace and safety... So Jesus' return is going to be so unexpected. People think everything is going fine, just getting on with life, going to and from work, going out for things, thinking we're safe, utterly unaware. Then suddenly Jesus will return. But the day of the Lord won't just be sudden. It will be a day of sudden destruction and wrath. So we see what verse 3 says. While people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly as labour pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. Now, I must confess, I don't know a lot about labour pains. Um, but I do know three things. One, you can't predict the exact time. So you get your due date, but you, you don't know the exact moment that the baby's going to come. And so it is with the day of the Lord. We know it's coming, but we don't know exactly when. Two can't escape pain. I don't know if you've ever met a woman who gave birth to a child and it wasn't painful. Again, it just doesn't happen. That that doesn't exist. And so it is with the day of the Lord. It will be a day of pain. And thirdly, that pain will be excruciating as well. And of course, this is the one that I know least about. Um, But if you imagine the pain of childbirth... And then imagine feeling that pain of childbirth forever. That is, that is what destruction is going to feel like. It's not really a laughing matter. It's going to be brutal for those that have to endure it. And in fact, the day of the Lord is going to be worse than everlasting pains of childbirth. Now, I think the idea of God destroying people so painfully for our sin will make some of you very uncomfortable, maybe even angry. How could God be like that? How could God destroy people as with the pains of childbirth? I think if we think about it, it's good that God destroys people for their sin. Uh, The world is full of atrocities and oppression. There is civil war in Syria, wicked dictatorships in North Korea, and there have been wicked dictatorships for centuries and millennia. Even closer to our home, there's oppression on our streets. What does it say about God if he just shrugs his shoulders at all of that? Clearly he doesn't care about justice. Clearly he doesn't care about the oppressed. A God who turns a blind eye to evil or who shrugs his shoulders at it is not a good God. 
For God to be a good God, he must be a God who judges sinners. So I think we get that if we think about it. Where, where it really hits home is, but, but I'm not like them. Why would God judge me like that? And, and of course, in a sense, it's true that we're not as bad as the cruel dictators of this world. But don't think for a minute that just because we aren't oppressive dictators, that means we must be good enough people. We're not. I think we'd all agree that a good person should care about other people. When Jesus says, uh, love your neighbour as yourself, I think we agree that a good person should do those things, do that. Um, but if we're honest, honest, um, we, we don't love others as ourselves. And that, that includes me. We love our own careers and our own popularity and what people think of us and comfort. We really love ourselves much more than we love others. We might manage to kind of love our families, but even with families, I know just being back home over Christmas, how annoyed I get at my family because I want to do my thing and they're the people that I'm supposed to love most. We really are full of sin. And what's going to happen to people who are full of sin? The day of the Lord will bring sudden destruction. Jesus will come back and destroy people for their sin. Like labour pains on a pregnant woman, non-Christians won't be able to escape. Can you guys see how there's nothing more important than being able to find a way to be saved from this destruction? Praise God that there is a way, which we're going to see in a moment. Trusting in Jesus' death on a cross will turn a day of destruction into a day of salvation. We'll think about that in a moment. Point two, the day of the Lord is a day to be ready for. The day of the Lord is a day to be ready for. Paul moves on to talking with Christians in view. He says, but you, brothers and sisters, are not in darkness so that this day should surprise you like a thief. Christians are children of the light. We don't belong to the night or to the darkness. We don't belong to it. And so the Lord's return shouldn't be a surprise to us. Paul keeps going. You are all children of the light and children of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. So then, let us not be like others who are asleep. Let us be awake and sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night. And those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day... Let us be sober, putting on faith and love as the breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. It's a bit of a wordy sentence, set of sentences. I'm trying to unpack that. Christians belong to the day, not the night. Sober, not drunk. And being awake and sober means that Christians live putting on faith, love and hope. Faith, love and hope. Now these three, faith, hope and love are called the Christian Trinity, not the Holy Trinity. Most of us will know Father, Son, and Spirit, Holy Trinity. This is the Christian Trinity, the marks of a true Christian, what a true Christian looks like, displaying faith, hope, and love. And Paul says that to be sober for the day of the Lord, that is, to be ready for the day of the Lord, the day Jesus comes back, looks like putting on these three things, faith, hope, and love. So this simple idea of of getting ready, a few illustrations should help us kind of get what I mean. Um, So we get ready for a date by putting on some nice clothes to impress. 
of course. We get ready for an exam by revising so that we do well. We get ready for a child by buying a cot and a pram so that the baby will be comfortable. So we, we get ready by doing stuff. That's how we get ready for stuff. We don't get ready by just kind of sitting there and not doing anything. Um, and we get ready for the day of the Lord then by being like the Lord Jesus who delights in faith, hope and love and who hates sin. Imagine, Christians, imagine that Jesus comes back and you're currently neglecting to fight a sin or to love others. At best, that's going to be a bit awkward. Put on faith, hope and love so that we're ready. Of course, faith, hope and love, they won't save you. If I do enough faith, hope and love, then I'm not going to be saved. But it's what those who are saved do. They put on faith, hope and love. And actually, I see lots of instances of faith, hope and love at this church, which is encouraging. That means we're, we have the marks of true Christians. We're going on the right path. Um, I serve on the international cafe team. Um, and I see lots of those guys there loving guests with perseverance, even though those guys can be, can be difficult to love. Um, it's super encouraging when people in deep suffering uh, experience hope and joy in their suffering because they have the hope of salvation. Um, that's one of the most encouraging things I love seeing when people are suffering, um, but they have this joy inside them. It's so great. Um, and faith as well. Faith in God's promises. Uh, I know a, f- a few guys at church that are battling same-sex attraction. And they say no to sinful desires now because they trust that when God says sin leads to destruction and that following him leads to life, that that is true. So having faith in God's promises, even when maybe it doesn't look like God's promises are going to come true. That's really encouraging. Um, we have those marks of true Christians more and more, let us put on faith, hope and love so that we are ready for the day of the Lord. So the day of the Lord is a day to be ready for. That's point two. Point three, the day of the Lord is a day of salvation. Paul keeps going. Verse nine, for God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. The hope that Christians have in the future is not one of wrath. We won't face the terrifying and destructive wrath of God we spoke of earlier. Instead, we get to receive salvation. Firstly, see that we we receive salvation. In no way do we earn it. In no way do we deserve it. God graciously gives it to us. Um, I remember when I was younger and uh, I just learned to drive and I crashed my car into another parked car. Um, I had a massive turning circle. It was one of the stupidest things I've ever done. Um, And because it was entirely my fault, I was entirely at the mercy of the insurance company. They could force me to pay whatever they wanted and I would have to pay it and there there was no way out for me. Um, Except for some very strange reason. uh, And it was great. Um, The insurance company paid out all the damages for me. Uh, I did absolutely nothing to earn it. I was just sitting in my bedroom kind of depressed for a couple of days thinking how am I going to pay this money Um, my dad was very angry with me Um, but the insurance company paid it all out I did nothing they took the burden on themselves and that's a frail illustration of how we receive salvation 
Just like I was completely at fault, we are completely at fault for our sin and deserve destruction. Completely at fault. And secondly, just like I did nothing to get the insurance company to pay my debt, nothing, just sat there worrying, so there is nothing we do to bring our own salvation. And our salvation doesn't cost about a thousand pounds, but it cost God the death of his very own son for sinners like us. See, the salvation is through our Lord Jesus Christ who died for us. The cost of our salvation was the death of the Lord of the universe in order to save us from destruction we deserve. The Father was willing to destroy his very own Son, whom he loves, whom he cherishes more than all things, whom he delights in above all else. And the Son was delighted to obey the Father's will and die a wretched, shameful and excruciating death for us. But why? Why have we been given this amazing free salvation from wrath through the death of Jesus? Paul keeps going. He says, he died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. The reason Paul gives here for why Jesus was willing to die for us is so that we can go to live with him. Now, I've just said a load of words, so I'm going to say that again. The reason Paul gives here for why Jesus was willing to die for us why Jesus was willing to die for us is so that we can go and be with him. I think this is staggering. The reason that Jesus died for us was so that sinners like us, deserving destruction, could have the privilege and pure joy of being with him. What a supreme act of generosity. Now, saying something like this will bring about different responses from different people. Uh, Some of us will be enjoying our personal time with the Lord at the moment in our quiet times. We'll be loving the gospel. And just hearing that we get to be with Christ will be enough to warm our hearts. Others of us, despite having just heard the incredible and unwarranted love that God has for sinners, might still be left feeling a bit cold or hard to the truth. And it might be for a variety of reasons why we, why we feel that way, some, some bad, some less bad. Uh, it might be because we just feel like it's old news, or maybe life is just hard, and we really want to feel joy in the gospel, but it's just hard. Maybe we've just taken our eyes off Jesus, and we're filling ourselves with other things. So when we hear the gospel, it doesn't, doesn't really mean anything. Either way, let me just try and warm our hearts a little bit more with this short quote from a uh, a guy called Samuel Rutherford, who is a Christian from a long time ago, and he writes some, some great quotes about Jesus. Um, and it should come up on the screen. Just a short quote. I find Christ to be Christ, and that he is far, far, even infinite heaven's height above man, and that is all our happiness. Sinners can do nothing but make wounds, that Christ may heal them, and make debts that Christ may pay them, and make fools that he may raise them, and make deaths that he may quicken them, and spin out and dig hells for themselves that he may ransom them. So that's our final dwelling place for our souls and bodies, to be with Christ, the one who has done all that for us. We get to spend time with him in his presence 
to know him more personally, to delight in his sacrificial death more deeply, to enjoy him more fervently, to find final rest for our souls in him. So let's more and more hope in this salvation where we are saved from wrath and destruction to be with the Lord Jesus Christ forever. The day of the Lord will be a day of great salvation. And then Paul goes on to tell us how we can do these things. How shall we stay sober for the day of the Lord and grow in faith, love and the hope of salvation? Paul gives us the answer. Therefore, this is verse 11, therefore encourage one another and build each other up just as in fact you are doing. Now, that might not be quite what we expect Paul to say. Maybe we expect him to say, uh, do a longer quiet time so that you're excited about Jesus' return, or pray more, or meditate on scripture more. Uh, And they're all great things. They might be your New Year's resolution if they are great. Paul says here, keep encouraging one another for the day of the Lord. This is a a humble reminder that we need each other. We're designed to need each other to keep going and to be excited for Jesus' return. More practically, I was thinking about how we are doing at encouraging one another as a church family. Um, I think we're quite good at it. Maybe that's just my experience. The perk of my job is I get to have great chats with people every day. So maybe you disagree with me. Um, Either way, a couple of ways that maybe we can improve encouraging one another for Jesus' return this year. Firstly, uh, I think we're better at sympathising with each other in our sin and weakness, but maybe slightly less good at telling each other the gospel. Again, that was just a bunch of words, so let me explain what I mean. Uh, I was um, with a friend, well, maybe a month ago, and uh, I was complaining, frustrated at my own sin, my own sin of pride in my heart. Um, uh, and he just turned around to me, uh, and he was, he was quite blunt, um, more blunt than I'm about to be. Um, and he says, Ben, at the cross we see two things. We see that we're dreadful sinners. We nailed Christ to the cross. And we also see that he's a great saviour. So when you're tempted to be proud, like, you're an idiot, what are you doing? You're rubbish. You're a sinner who hung the Son of God on a cross. Even at your best, you're dreadful. Yet Christ is also incredibly merciful to you. And I, I was just sitting there like, oh, actually, yeah, you're right. That's a really good, that's a really good point. It, it was really helpful for me to just have my pride exposed to the stupidity that it was and to see that Jesus is great. What my friend didn't do was said, oh, Ben, you're, you're struggling with pride. Man, that's tough. I, I struggle with that as well. Stop. Which is... Something I'm probably guilty of, and maybe we're all guilty of a bit. Let's tell each other the gospel as well. The gospel is good news. Let's keep telling each other it. Declare it. Even if it sounds weird, someone says something, just like, man, let me tell you the gospel. It's actually really helpful. Uh, Two, uh, maybe we can ask each other more direct spiritual questions this year as well. You might think these are quite forthright examples, but there you go. Um, You might ask something like, how are you doing at displaying the love of Christ to people? I don't know if you've ever asked your friend that. Why not ask them that question? Or how are you feeling about being with Christ forever? What do you think is stopping you being excited? Why don't, you ask, why don't we ask each other that question more? When I get asked questions like that, 
And this may surprise some of you because I actually quite enjoy asking them, but I actually, I actually don't want to answer them. I don't, it's just a bit awkward. I don't really want to think about it. Um, but they are, again, actually just really helpful um, because they engage the idolatry that's at the bottom of my heart, which is actually stopping me from having joy. And it makes me stop and think, hang on, why, why am I not excited about Jesus' return? What am I thinking about instead? So I know it can be a bit awkward, but press on in asking those kind of questions because actually they're really helpful. And part of the way that Paul wants us to encourage one another to keep going for the day of the Lord and being excited about it. Um, And you can do something really, really cheesy and ask each other those kind of questions when the service finishes as well. That'd be great. Um, Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up just as in fact you are doing. So to sum up what we've just covered, the day of the Lord should be the worst day ever for all of us. It should be a day of pain, destruction and wrath. But amazingly, Jesus came the first time and died for us on a cross so that when he comes a second time, he won't come in judgment for everyone, but to take those who trust in him, Christians, to live together with him forever. So let me just slow down for a second. If you're, if you're not a Christian here today, this is, this is me talking to you. Please don't find yourself on the wrong side of Jesus on that day. Don't let it be the worst day. Don't let it be the day when uh, the pain of um, childbearing starts forever. Don't let it be a day of destruction. Put your trust in Jesus to save you today and the day of the Lord will go from being the worst day ever to being the best day. All you need to do is say sorry for the sins you've committed and to trust in Jesus' death where he was destroyed. He was destroyed in our place. You can do that in your hearts now and you'll receive salvation to be with Jesus. And if you do do that in your heart, it'd be good to tell someone that you've done that as well. Declare it to someone. Maybe you're hearing me talk about you being destroyed for your sin one day, and that's made you sit up and pay attention to Christianity. Um, you're not ready to just trust in Jesus, uh, but what I've said has made you pay, take notice. Why not come to honest questions, which Brian was talking about earlier? Um, don't just dismiss me. I think Christianity stands up to academic scrutiny. Uh, I think everyone needs to think about it. If the, the ramifications are so high, salvation with Jesus, eternal destruction, we need, to, we need to think about this. Is it true? So if you're not ready to trust in Jesus, come to honest questions. Uh, turn to the person who brought you. Come chat to me. I'll be there. Uh, and we can chat about these things more. Don't walk out of here unless you're resolved to find out the truth about the day of the Lord. And finally, if you're a Christian, keep going as a Christian. In 2018, keep going. Be ready for Jesus' return, putting on faith, hope and love and keep encouraging one another. Because on the day of the Lord, we will go to be with Jesus forever. Let me pray again. Father, our hearts are so cold and our vision so warped 
and we find it so hard to see the day of the Lord rightly and think about it rightly, but it is coming as sure as this stage that I stand on. Um, It is coming. Father, please help us. If we're not a Christian here, please work in, in people by your spirit that they may be changed to believe and to trust in Christ. And if we are Christians, Lord, pray that we would be more excited, more um, joyous regarding the day of the Lord. We would look forward to being with Jesus forever. Lord, this is our true hope. Please can we see it. Please can we have the eyes of our heart enlightened. Father, we, we know that often we are so cold. So please keep growing us by the power of your spirit. And for the glory of your son, who died for us and was destroyed for us. Pray these things for his sake. Please, Lord. Amen.